This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Over the last eight months, we have seen cybersecurity incidents across this country of a fairly unprecedented scale and impact. Eric Goldstein, Executive Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at CISA. Russia and China are linked to most of them and have ignored polite U.S. appeals to knock it off. So now the U.S. is naming and shaming. Attribution is incredibly important. John Dermody is a former National Security Council lawyer, now with the firm O'Melveny. But it's not in of itself going to deter actors. Specifics about how to do that coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. There are a lot of moving parts when it comes to cyber attacks and cybersecurity. There's the risk or vulnerabilities. There are the attackers, the victims, the defenders. And then there's the constantly evolving technology that both the good guys and the bad guys are leveraging. While I'm speaking at this very moment, countless, and I do mean countless, cyber attacks are happening all over the country, and in fact, the entire planet. So to get a good idea of where we stand, I asked Eric Goldstein, Executive Director for Cybersecurity at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency to put it into perspective. Sure thing, JJ. So I I think it's fair to say that over probably the last eight months, uh, we have seen cybersecurity incidents affecting organizations across this country, whether government agencies, critical infrastructure, small businesses, um, of a fairly unprecedented uh, scale and and impact, Um, whether it is uh, nation state uh, related intrusions uh, like the Solar Winds campaign uh, or the recent spate of ransomware attacks affecting critical infrastructure and other businesses across sectors, uh, we are seeing significant cybersecurity risk affecting our country that necessitates all organizations make urgent investments in improving their security and resilience. Why are we seeing this unprecedented, uh, I guess, explosion of these kinds of uh, cyber attacks? You know, I think it is it is consistent with the trend that we have seen for some time where uh, adversaries uh, with various motivations, uh, whether those motivations are espionage, financial or other, um, have determined that uh, exploiting vulnerabilities in information technology are a fairly cost effective way for them to achieve their goals. And so again, one of the most effective ways for us to change these adversaries' uh, cost calculus uh, is to make it harder for them. Uh, And so the more secure 
that we can make uh, the technologies that we are deploying, the more secure that we can make uh, our networks across critical infrastructure, um, the more likely it is that our adversaries will uh, decide not to pursue cyber attacks as the means to achieve their goals. You know, over the last couple of years, I've spoken to some uh, professionals about this problem, and they've talked about you know, ranking some of the threats that uh, actually are problematic for the U.S., including the Russians, the Chinese, Iran, North Korea. Then you have the freelancers like the spiders or whatever they call them. What are what are the most dangerous threats? Where are the most dangerous threats coming from? You know, I like to frame the the gravity of different cyber risks, you know, less based upon the actor and more based upon the impact. Uh, because really, from uh, a, a U.S. cybersecurity perspective, and particularly given our role at CISA, we are really focused on uh, reducing the prevalence and impact of cyber intrusions that can affect you know, national critical functions, th- those services upon which Americans depend every day. And And those attacks can be perpetrated by ransomware groups. They can be perpetrated by nation states. They can be perpetrated, uh, as you know, JJ, by by proxy groups or 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 freelancers. And so, from a cybersecurity perspective, you know the the nice part about um, you know investing in in ideal cybersecurity is that you can, to some extent, you know, focus on uh, ensuring that your network is is appropriately hardened and then you know focus on what is the most urgent threat affecting networks on a given day based upon information shared by CISA and our other partners. Uh-huh. And so you know I think the the threat actor of most significance uh, changes based upon the nature of your organization uh, and frankly the behavior of a given threat actor at a given time, but really it's the impacts that we are most concerned about, which lets us lets us take a more generalizable approach to national cybersecurity. What is CISA specifically doing to deal with these threats? You've talked a little bit about what your overall or overarching objective uh, is and process to some degree, but obviously we don't want to talk sources and methods here, but I think there is a significant amount of information you can share, uh, especially considering what came out this week with StopRansomware.gov from DHS. But give us some idea of what CIS is doing to deal with some of these threats. Yep. Thanks so much, JJ. It's a great question. So, and you, you really hit on on the first element, which is our first goal is to make sure that every organization in this country, whether you're critical infrastructure, you're a nonprofit, you're a small business, you're a local government, uh, a school district, across the board, that you have information um, to to improve your cybersecurity defenses uh, at whatever level of maturity you are. Uh, and so. Thank you for mentioning uh, StopRansomware.gov, JJ. That is the U.S. government's uh, new whole-of-government website uh, just launched yesterday that brings together resources from not only CISA, but our partners at the FBI and other agencies so that any organization can go on the website and, and say, you know, I really don't want to be hit by a ransomware attack. You know, what should I do? What are the top three things to invest in? And they can find it there. At the same time, if an organization is unfortunately impacted by a ransomware attack, uh, they can go to that website and figure out, well, what the heck do I do now? How do I recover? And who do I call? Um, we've also released in recent weeks uh, a variety of, of alerts specific to nation state um, uh, activities, um, all of which are available on our website, CISA.gov. And so that first piece is making sure that, that everybody in this country has information to improve their own cybersecurity. 
The second piece is providing actual services to help organizations uh, ad advance their cybersecurity. And so, for example, we provide free of charge services like vulnerability scanning, where we'll look at an organization's uh, devices that are facing the internet and we can tell them if they have any known vulnerabilities. We offer penetration testing services to actually try to break into an organization and tell them if they're secure. We can do architecture reviews to say, is your network set up the right way? And, and we offer all of these free of charge as a government service to improve our national cybersecurity. And the third piece is, when an incident does occur, we have the ability to uh, provide incident response and what we call threat hunting services to help a victim organization um, understand what the adversary did, help them remove them from their networks and restore to a more secure state. And of course, there's a cycle here because the information that we learn about what adversaries are doing, how they're breaking in, we then ship, we then use that in our information products and guidance, um, which we then circulate more broadly to protect others. So, so following on those three main pillars of action, you know, th that's how we are working urgently to advance national security in the face of these evolving threats. One of the things that we are familiar with, which is similar to this this effort, is the the National Counterintelligence and Security Center, and they were, to some degree, doing some of this before for years. Uh, Bill Avenina and that group there uh, were sending out uh, information and, and, and providing guidance to government um, entities on this. Is it, is, it, is it fair to say that this effort is extend, takes that and, and extends it to the entire country, people that aren't a part of the government, organizations that aren't a part of the government, so that everybody can have access to this information and to these resources. Is that safe to say? Certainly CISA's remit is national. Uh, you know, we do have uh, uh, the role of protecting uh, federal civilian agencies, uh, as well as our state, local, tribal, and territorial partners, but our role also, ex also extends to the nation's critical infrastructure, small businesses, and even cybersecurity awareness for individuals. And so we have that that national mandate, JJ, as you note, uh, to ensure that everybody in this country understands the cybersecurity risks that we're facing and can take action in response. Okay, um, there is a there is some spe a specific uh, uh, element that I want to ask you about today, and that is um, I saw recently the that CISA and NSA and uh, NCSC and the FBI put out a joint cybersecurity advisor on Russian GRU. A brute force campaign. Can you in any way explain what that was about and how that's relevant and why it's relevant, I should say, especially today when looking at what it is that the government and CISA specifically is trying to do to, 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 to minimize the risk and the threat uh, from these kinds of organizations? Sure. You know, there, there's really two two key goals that we're trying to achieve with this kind of an alert. Uh, the the first is to provide uh, network defenders with very clear, concrete guidance that they can use to protect their networks. Uh, and so if you look at, at this alert that we put out with, as you noted, our partners in the FBI, the NSA, and, and the UK's NCSC, um, it's really intended to help uh, network defenders understand a, a risk and help them mitigate uh, how these adversaries are actually breaking in. Um, and so if you note, you know, this um, um, 
this alert includes not only diagrams that explain the activity undertaken uh, by the adversary, but also the specific pardon me, tactics, techniques, and procedures that, that the adversary uses to compromise their target networks. But it's also important to include uh, the attribution in this kind of alert, uh, as we did, because that also helps at a strategic level, organizations uh, make a case for why they should invest in better cybersecurity. And so if, if we and our partners just say generically, well, you know, this is um, uh, just a, a way that the adversaries are breaking in, that might not get the same level of focused attention to invest in the right cybersecurity measures as enumerated in great detail in this alert, as if we say, as we said in this case, you know, this is a Russian GRU uh, campaign that organizations in these specific uh, sectors that we define in the alert um, may be targeted by, and therefore those organizations sh should really take urgent measures to adopt uh, the security improvements that we outline in the advisory. Are there any, um, well, I should ask you first, um, and I probably should have asked this a lot earlier on in this conversation, um, the pace and the frequency of these attacks. I remember probably five, six, maybe seven years ago, um, I believe it was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs at the time talking about the fact that cyber attacks were happening, you know, every few seconds at that time to, to DOD and to other uh, critical U.S. government and military agencies. But can you talk to us a little bit about the pace or frequency of the attacks we're seeing today? So, you know, as, as your question implies, we have certainly seen a significant pace of, you know, attempted and even successful cyber attacks across sectors for some time, right? This is, this is nothing extraordinarily new. I think what we are seeing new uh you know most recently first of all is a real increase in in ransomware intrusions across all sectors of the economy and we are now seeing cyber attacks that are resulting in in physical consequences uh, so for example we have the case of the, of the ransomware attack on colonial pipeline where that company out of an abundance of caution uh took down a pipeline that provides most of the uh the gasoline and jet fuel up and down the uh Eastern United States. You know, that is that is something that we hadn't really seen in this country before. Now, other countries had, but but we hadn't. And so, you know, I think we are now seeing a an increase in the gravity of the risk as manifested in impact to, to the kind of services upon which the American people and communities and businesses depend every day. Are there any new or notable strains of malware? to be on the lookout for that we've heard a lot about a few things recently and some of the names I'm not going to pretend and know them all, but are there any that have emerged recently that the public needs to know about or should be aware of? You know, I think one of the the interesting characteristics of cybersecurity is, is uh, malicious cyber actors are continuously developing uh, new and novel strains of ransomware. Uh, ransomware gangs are continuously uh, innovating their methods and even reconstituting, uh, standing up new infrastructure to avoid detection um, or, or interdiction by global law enforcement. Um, and so, you know, certainly CISA and our partners uh, works urgently to stay ahead um, of what um, these adversaries are doing, which is why we share alerts uh, like uh, the document about uh, the, the brute force campaign that you referenced earlier. Um, but, you know, for most organizations, 
you know, it is it is you know most important to focus on those cybersecurity best practices. Uh, you know, patching um, your devices quickly, particularly those facing the internet, using multi-factor auth authentication, having offline and encrypted backups, getting rid of hardware and software that's end of life and no longer supported. Those kind of practices are really enduringly uh, effective. Uh, against many kind of intrusions. And for most organizations, that's the right place to start. The government has been at this for a while, but still we constantly are getting this stream of, of new attacks. And I'm sure a lot of it has to do with people and inside the critical infrastructure organizations not doing the right things, not paying attention to these warnings. So my question then is, how do you get them to do that? How do you get them to listen up and pay attention? Yeah, it's a great question, JJ. So, you know, I, I think hopefully it is not necessarily doing the wrong things. For many organizations, um, you know, particularly uh, small, medium-sized businesses, cybersecurity investments are a cost. And, and these businesses or even, you know, state and local government entities that are, that are operating on a limited budget, you know, it is, it is challenging to justify cybersecurity investments versus investments, uh, you know, in a in a new product or paying employees more, cutting costs for customers, or you just might not have the budget to invest to begin with. And so one of the things that we work really urgently on in CISA is trying to very clearly explain the use case for better cybersecurity in a way that's comprehensible at all layers of an organization. And so for network defenders, we'll provide very technical, actionable guidance that can be immediately used to help detect and block in, and block intrusions. Um, for managers, we'll provide you know more strategic guidance. You know what are the right questions to be asking uh, to ensure that you've implemented the right best practices. And then for executives and even corporate board members, we provide an even higher level of information to really help them understand how to contextualize cybersecurity risk as part of a broader enterprise risk program and really weighted against all the other kinds of risks that they're evaluating on a daily basis. And so I think the real key is making sure that you know, every leader in an organization, not just the IT team or the security team, is thinking about cybersecurity as a preeminent risk factor for the organization and budgeting and planning for it accordingly. And that's the sort of change in thinking that we'd suggest will drive prolonged change over time. What keeps you and your team up at night? I know that is an age-old question, and in many circles it's ridiculous, and I kind of think it's ridiculous too, but I'm asking it anyway because I think it's an effective way to find out what the biggest problem or headache is for you and your team. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the thing that really keeps me and my team up at night is the number of critical functions in this country across sectors that are now connected to the internet or otherwise utilizing network technologies in some degree where a cyber intrusion, uh, if an adversary had the right intent and capabilities, could be used to cause real harm to the American people, could cause the loss of a critical function upon which Americans depend and could even cause uh, injury or loss of life. Uh, that is the risk that really keeps us up at night and that's the risk that we and our partners across the government with the private sector are really urgently working to defend against before it occurs. How big is your team? So at CISA, our, our full agency right now is around 2,000 people. Do you work in shifts or do you work all together or do you work in the same place? I'm sure you work in different places, correct? We do. We have, we have, we have a few different buildings, but we do. Uh, we are a 24-by-7 organization, and so we do have 
have teams that work on shifts to make sure we are we are always standing by to uh, jump into action if something occurs. And then, of course, a lot of our organization, you know, works usual business hours to make sure that we are executing on our ongoing priorities. What about U.S. government operations and entities that are not in this country physically? Yeah. So, you know, we work extremely closely with our international partners. Uh, there is a, a construct in cybersecurity called Computer Emergency Response Teams, or CERTs. CERT, yeah. um, most all countries across the world uh, have them. Uh, and we work extremely closely with our international partners to share technical information uh, and to help them understand cybersecurity risks that, that we're seeing and the inverse being equally true. So that uh, if a malicious cyber actor uh, targets an organization anywhere in the world, our close relationship with our partners uh, across the globe will ideally enable us to recognize that before it affects the company here in America. Couple more quick ones. Do you see that the folks or the, the organizations or the, the entities, the US government entities that are outside of the US, are they at greater risk than those inside the US? I think every organization uh, really globally is at is at potential risk. Uh, you know, we have certainly seen, for example, the ransomware epidemic uh, affect organizations uh, really globally. Um, and so, you know, there is no unique exposure uh, to an organization in any given country. Uh, our malicious cyber actors, uh, you know, are looking to achieve their strategic goals uh, really wherever they can, and their goals differ. Uh, based upon uh, organization and even country, but certainly across the globe, all organizations should be thinking about this risk and investing accordingly. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you think is important today? You know, I think the only thing I would add is, is as, as you're likely aware, um, uh, earlier this year, President Biden released an executive order on cybersecurity. Um, and that executive order is really intended to urgently drive cybersecurity improvements across the federal government uh, in some areas that are foundational to to better cybersecurity, um, including improving uh, software assurance, uh, improving adoption of, of security defensible network architectures, uh, and improving um, information sharing between the government and, and our government contractors. Uh, that kind of work we think is really foundational, not just to improving cybersecurity within the government, uh, but more broadly. Um, and, and ideally, the, uh, the goals codified uh, in the executive order will, will, uh, will catalyze long-term cybersecurity improvement uh, across the country overall. Eric Goldstein, he's the executive director of cybersecurity for the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Now, there's another piece of this that we haven't tackled just yet. And that is the U.S. government's approach to dealing with this from the 30,000-foot level. So for that, we go to John Dermody, who is a lawyer with the O'Melveny Global Law Firm. But before that, he was a national security lawyer for the Department of Defense, DHS, and he was also detailed at one point to the National Security Agency. The U.S. sent a big message to China, um, or at least they were trying to send a message calling out China for the Microsoft hack. So I'd like to ask you um, what you think that actual message was that they sent to China. So I think attribution uh, is important. It's a sort of necessary step in trying to call out nation state actors that have been involved in uh, you know, various activities. In this context, we're talking about cyber activities. And it's a step that you know, within government is, uh, it is, is not taken lightly. 
Um, part of that is because um, you may have information um, indicating who the actor was that per that performed this activity, but you're also coordinating with allies to try to increase the uh, pressure and uh, overall sort of engagement with partners and allies to sort of call out the bad behavior by uh, a foreign state as some way to try to name and shame them to prevent them and deter them from doing this type of activity. So I think attribution is incredibly important, but it's not in of itself going to uh, deter um, committed actors from engaging in cyber activities themselves. What message do you think the, the administration actually sent to China by not announcing any punishment? I think it's important to think about the, the tools that are available to an administration in dealing with these types of issues. So naming and shaming and bringing a big uh, uh, group of partners in to, to do it with them is an important first step. That does not mean that um, this is the end of the engagement or the activities that the United States government may be taking. They may be considering sanctions. They may be considering um, other sort of uh, activities that would more direct action that would make it difficult for cyber threat actors to, to operate. Some of this is going to happen not in the public view. Um, some of this will be public, but I do think one of the things that is happening here is the realization that it's not just a one shot and you're done, you've solved the problem. This is going to be an issue that requires long-term sustained engagement and ultimately cooperation um, by uh, foreign countries so that they are the ones cracking down on the internal activities and they are the ones deterring um, and no longer engaging the behavior themselves. What have you learned about the capabilities of these Chinese actors who have been engaged in this activity? So I'd say one way to think about it is the United States no longer has a monopoly on incredibly skilled uh, cyber activities and, and cyber tools. Um, the big four actors, China, uh, Russia, North Korea, and Iran have all been developing their skills in, in the last years. And particularly with Russia and China, um, they have poured incredible resources into developing those skills, developing the, the tools, developing the investment and in time it takes to sort of identify targets and the patience to think of long-term uh, goals and strategies for exploitation. So I, I think it makes very clear that China is a sophisticated adversary in this area and that we should anticipate um, their ability to you know, continue to engage, um, whether it's you know, against sort of government targets or private sector targets, um, it's something that they will likely have the capacity to do um, from now on. John Dermody, former national security lawyer for the U.S. government and currently a lawyer for the O'Melveny Global Law Firm. Some of what he said is pretty stark and some of it's downright chilling. Keeping that in mind, check out our next episode. We're in trouble. I mean, your democracy had a heart attack on the 6th of January. When you have a heart attack, you should change your lifestyle. You should change your diet. And I'm not sure you have. Radek Sikorsky is the chairman of the EU-USA delegation in the European Parliament. And not only does he say the US is in trouble, but the rest of the world. We have some of the similar challenges because we have political entrepreneurs who thrive on chaos. And he says part of the solution is reining in some of the big social media companies. 
I think the time has come to, uh, to regulate um, some of the uh, tech sphere because it's endangering uh, our, our democracy. You know, some of these algorithms are designed for us to stay online and what keeps us online is getting angry at our fellow citizens. That's coming up in our next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about our program, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. That's jgreen at wtop.com. We'd like to invite you to follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. Also, subscribe to our podcast as well, if you will. And if you want more national security information, you can find it in my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can find it at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night! And welcome to T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. The most fun you'll ever listen to while you're folding your clothes. Now let's get this straight. This is not your average podcast. T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio is super fun, super crazy. It's pretty much an in-your-face conversation. That's the good thing about us. We don't do interviews. We do conversations. All of my guests, all of my co-hosts, we chill. We drink, we play games, we have the song of the week, we have the creative curse word of the week, as long as you're having fun as our guest. Speaking of guests, each week I'm going to go go through my whole contact list and dive head first into the world of music, gaming, exotic cars, tech, strippers probably, doctors probably, probably strippers that are only stripping so they can pay for tuition to become a doctor. You never know. My wife is a certified bartender. She'll make you a drink while you're here. We'll get you drunk and make you play VR after. It's a lot going on, but that's what it's all about over here at T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. See you soon, baby! Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.